People seldom find themselves at a loss for words. In fact, many of us prefer to talk when we're probably better off keeping our mouths shut. More often than not, we talk when we should be listening. I'll be honest. I struggle with this podcast every week trying to come up with things to share with you that have value, that really mean something, things that are indeed worth listening to. It's at these times when I think back to an interview I did in 2007 with Dr. John Francis, author of the book Planet Walker. He told me the story about how he let his actions speak when words failed him. In 1971, he witnessed a catastrophic oil spill on the San Francisco Bay near the Golden Gate Bridge. I was looking for something to do about that. I didn't really know exactly what I could do. I mean, it's such a big insult to the environment. And, you know, you kind of feel powerless to to really do anything. And it took a friend's death to convince me that I should just start acting on what I believe was the right thing to do. And the right thing that I had been thinking about for me was not to to ride in motorized vehicles, just to start walking. That friend, a sheriff's deputy in a small town where he lived, was killed in an automobile accident. The harm that Francis witnessed caused by motor vehicles and gas-powered institutions that sustain them finally compelled him to let his convictions speak through his actions. So he started walking everywhere he went. He spent the next 22 years without riding in a car, riding a train or an airplane, not even a bus or a motorboat. When I did uh, stop riding in cars, I did create quite a stir in the little community that I lived in, um, in Northern California and people thought that I was doing the not riding in car thing because I wanted to make them feel bad. And I think maybe there was some, there was some truth to that, that I hoped that other people would follow me. Uh, but then I realized at some point that <laughs> I was in this all by myself. Francis said he found himself arguing with his neighbors. He was passionately making his point that by not riding in automobiles, he was making the world a better place. But he soon realized that all that talking, all the arguing, wasn't doing him or anyone else any good. So he shut up. Well, I didn't speak for 17 years. And um, that's probably the more unusual thing. That led to the end of argument for me. And Up until that time, I had been arguing with people about what I thought was right and what I thought um, the right course of action was for everyone, Um, (laughs) barely knowing the right course of action for myself. Uh, And and so I found myself arguing so much that on my birthday, uh, I turned 27, um, I decided the night before that I was going to not speak for uh, one day. And that was going to give uh, my community a break from having to hear me um, yap, 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 and argue and argue. And what happened was um, that day of silence came, and it was more a gift to me than I think to the community. Of course, later, I guess, you know, it could be argued that the community benefited from my silence. But for me, it really taught me a number of things. During those 17 years of not speaking, Francis learned to listen. And in his silence, he took action. 
He walked from Northern California to Montana, where he earned both a bachelor's and a master's degree in environmental studies. And from there, he walked here to Madison, where he earned a PhD from the University of Wisconsin in Land Resources. But that was only the beginning. I'm James Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project. There's a road I walk where I find myself staring out into the void Where mysteries whisper secret dreams Certainties destroy When I'm feeling down It gets cold and dark Empty and alone When I open my heart I can feel the heat Of every rock and stone Nobody told me what to believe So I guess I'll keep on wearing This heart upon my I learned that uh, one of the things I couldn't do while I was speaking was lie. And I was very good at lying, not being truthful. And I found myself (laughs) wanting to, but not being able to, uh, because I was just who I was. Uh, And I had to think about that. It took years, actually, to really uh, come to understand um, accepting um, who I who I am, as uh, particularly as an African American, living in a a white world, and and not getting the support from the culture that I did from my family, and even my family trapped into this into the same thing didn't get the support, and so I always wanted to be different than who I am, and uh, that led me to make things up in my mind about what I was doing or where I was going and and who who I was. The not speaking really put that in front of me and said, John, you're only who you are. You can't tell anyone that you're anyone else because you can't speak. You're not speaking. So they're just going to have to accept you as who they see you and and who you are. And, And that was, I guess, a great relief and it was also a great discovery or I should say a rediscovery of um, being the person that I am now. It was one of the the most amazing and most important things that that happened to me in my life is is rediscovering who I am. Um, Of course I believe that if if we can just be who we are (laughs) then we will find our own uniqueness, our own journey, our own our own self and our own worth. It's hard in a society where we're taught to not be ourselves, to be like someone else. Uh, If you want to be happy, you have to be like this person and that person and drive that kind of car and wear those kinds of clothes. And uh, after a while, I mean, in living in a culture um, of course, in a society, there, there has to be a certain amount of, of uh, compromise and uh, you know, we have to all stop at the, at the red and go at the green, you know, everybody can't just do what they want, but in, in that sense, but there is a uniqueness that we all have that we need to protect that uniqueness while giving up those things which allow us all to live together and, and you know, love each other. <laughs> 
17 years. 17 years, yes. What do you, what do, you do when you don't speak? Well, I play the banjo. <laughs> I play the banjo. I play the banjo all the time. And I walk and I looked and I listened. And that's a, a very good thing because I realized I hadn't been listening to people. And so now I had the opportunity to really listen and learn things that maybe I wouldn't have learned before because I was always thinking of what I was going to answer and what I was going to say when someone would say something. I would say, oh, do I believe that? No, I don't believe that. And, and, I'm, and I'd stop listening and, and go on to, to make something up that I was going to say to show them that I knew better or I was smarter or, or I was, jeez, uh, that's just crazy. <laughs> so that ended communication right there. So if, you know, if we really want to communicate, we have to really learn to listen to each other and listen to each other as fully as we can. And that's my practice to try to do that. It doesn't mean that I, I'm always successful. It's um, like anyone else, that it's always a practice and I do the best I can and, and I hope that everyone else does as well. What can we learn from the things that you've learned that are now part of your mission and your ability to, to tell us more of what we need to know about, about how we might live our lives as, as individuals? I have come to the conclusion that if we are indeed part of the environment as uh, we purport to be, then how we treat each other is probably one of the most important things in solving and dealing with some of the environmental problems that we're facing. And, and let me say it this way, it's like the way that we treat each other since we are part of the environment is directly how and what is going to manifest in the physical environment around us. So when we kill each other for gain, for resources and things of that nature, you can be sure that we're going to face some environmental problem. Right now we're looking at climate change. Now I can talk about climate change, I can talk about oh, carbon loads and footprints and I can talk about externalities and we're talking about economics and how industries like to, to use externalities because they can put that cost off on someone else, the cost off on maybe someone downstream. But it, when we are really looking at what's going on, when I talk to people, you know, if I talk about how we treat each other, right away they understand that. When I talk about those externalities and economies of scale and carbon loads, they kind of look at me and they're, they go, you know, <laughs> I just don't get that. But they really get we're all expert in our human relations. We all understand that when we're being treated well, when we're not being treated well. And so I think it starts there. And I think all the other things, the, the global warming, the climate change, the um, pollution, the endangered species, and, I mean, we're going to have a certain amount of that, no matter what we do, but a lot of that, a lot of that will be mitigated. But I just think we have to live that, that we have to be good to each other. Um, because if we can't be good to each other, 
um, we're not going to, it's not going to happen in the environment for us. I'll ask you one last question, and, and this is probably the one question that I think a lot of people are interested in finding out. After 17 years of not talking, what does one say? Well, every year on my birthday, I stopped on my birthday, so every year on my birthday I would ask myself, I would take that time to ask myself, does this still work? Does it fulfill what I need to have happen for me? And for those 16 years it did, and the, and the 17th year I knew that I was going to start speaking again. It made it a living decision, so I, I never got trapped into it. It was different for not riding in motorized vehicles, which I never asked myself. It took me to go through a whole, I guess, moment somewhere in Venezuela where I felt I was in prison as I walked through a, a prison called the El Dorado prison there. And it took that in order for me to understand that, okay, um, walking was fine and I should still do it, but that uh, to the extent that I wouldn't ride in motorized vehicles when necessary or to spread messages or to do the work, um, that maybe it was time for me to change. Do you recall what the first thing you said was? Oh yeah, the first thing I said is, thank you for being here. Planet Walker is published by National Geographic Books and is available wherever books are sold. You can learn more about Dr. John Francis online. Visit planetwalk.org. For the Joy Trip Project, this is James Mills. Music this week comes from singer-songwriter Sean Michael Darkin and the band Randy Arbo and Daisy Mayhem. Find the link to their websites on ours at joytripproject.com. The Joy Trip Project is brought to you thanks to our sponsors, Recreational Equipment Incorporated, REI, and Patagonia. We don't take money from just anyone. Sponsors of the Joy Trip Project support our mission of an active lifestyle through outdoor recreation and community involvement. Support us by supporting them. Find links to their websites on ours at joytripproject.com. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word by posting a link to it on your Facebook page or send it as a tweet to your followers on Twitter. Social media is a vibrant exchange of ideas. Join in the conversation by becoming engaged. Post your comments to the Joy Chip Project blog or send us an email at info at joychipproject.com. Share your stories. Share your passion for outdoor recreation, environmental conservation, acts of charitable giving, and practices of sustainable living, and you just might inspire our next joy trip together. But most of all, don't forget to tell your friends. Until next time, take care. <laughs>